And as you saw, um, you know, we all struggle with regrets. We all struggle with um, wishing that we would have done things differently in some situations, with some choices and decisions. And I really want to talk about this whole idea of living with regrets. How can I do that? How can I live my life um, not with dis- major disappointments of wishes that I could just roll back the tapes and start that day over, that week, or that decision over? How can I do that? What's that all about? Um, how can I avoid the pitfalls, especially? How can I avoid those pitfalls of those landmines that would just blow my life apart and ruin me, ruin my future, ruin my family? How can I do that? What can I do to keep from being disqualified in life? The, the focus of these next three weeks really is, is to answer all of those questions and to strengthen our resolve to move forward and to finish well with the life that we're living I think we all wrestle with this, though, this issue of, man, I, I don't want to live with regrets. We've all seen people whose reputations have been shattered publicly. We've seen, we've, we read about them. We also know people who, you know, they're, they're doing well in life, and then um, something happens, and just maybe a friend, a family member, maybe it's somebody here even, just that, you know, things uh, went the wrong direction, and there's just tremendous regrets. The person doesn't finish well. Uh, the Olympics have begun, the Winter Olympics at least. And um, has anybody get a chance to see any Olympics yet? I haven't, not yet. So, but uh, I do intend to watch the Olympics. I, I enjoy the Winter Olympics. But I'm sure most of you remember uh, Marion Jones, track and field athlete. We have a picture of her and a quote about regrets. She's a lady who was, a, she was just a track and field star. In the 2000 Olympics, she took five medals. Okay, five medals home. Um, and ever since she was a high school athlete, she just dominated the sport. And in, in high school, people were, you know, saying there must be, she must be on steroids. And so she was in court as a high schooler, had Johnny Cochran defending her, and she, you know, she wasn't um, found guilty or anything. But even in high school, there was these charges against her that she's just, something is assisting her, her, ability to run. But for the longest time, she was just denying and denying and denying that she'd ever taken any performance enhancement drugs. And then in 2007, she, she said this. She said, I've let my family down. I've let my country down. And I, I've let myself down. Because she finally um, came clean. It was eating her up on the inside. She had to give back her medals. She had won three gold medals and two bronze medals. And she had to give them all back. And she also, you know, she just also announced her retirement in 2007 from the sport. She just walked away from it because her reputation had, had been so damaged that she just couldn't see moving forward any, anymore. And it's really sad. And we know stories of people in the media. We know athletes. We know businessmen. We know preachers. We, know, we hear about things and people who, who start strong, but they, they disqualify themselves somewhere along the way. And for the, for the follower of Christ, um, we have a, for those of you who follow Christ, you've become a Christian we have a master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a mission, which is to make disciples, to make followers of Christ. So we have a master and a mission. That's really something that ought to move us forward and to drive us in life. But staying obedient to the master and staying focused on the mission with all the distractions around us is a difficult thing to do. And I think you all can agree with that. Um, but this life is more like a marathon than it is a sprint. We have to look at the Christian life as something that 
I've got to set a pace and just begin to make steady progress in my life in a marathon. Sometimes we get, we get out the chute like a sprint and we run out of steam and we disqualify ourselves because of that. We run out of energy. Uh, but at the end of the marathon, you know, I think we all desire to be able to cross the finish line. When this life is over, we want to cross the finish line to meet our master and to hear him say, well done, you've been faithful with the mission that I've given you. We want to be able to stand before him and without major regrets in our life, without wishing we could have done it all over and standing there in shame. I think that's the desire of most of us here in this room. But the sad thing is that few people arrive at the end of their life without major regrets. Few people start strong and stay strong in the Christian life. The scripture is very clear about this. And I want to look about I want to look at the passages that, that God says are so important that, that just kind of rise to the surface about how do I stay strong? How do I finish well? How can I not lose sight of my mission and my master as I'm moving through life? And most of what we're going to look at is, is to this morning is from a guy named Paul. He's known as the Apostle Paul. He was a church starter in, um, in the first century. And he had a major transition in his life when he met Jesus Christ face to face. And it just altered his future and his mission for, for his life. And he, he describes in his letters what it really takes to finish well. And so I want to look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at this together. We're going to work through some different verses and passages. But the first one is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And he goes with this whole theme of, of the race. And crossing the line, he says, in verse 24, says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says, Run in such a way as to get the prize, for everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. So, just stop there. In, in, in uh, the people he's writing to in Corinth, um, this, is, this is a Greek area. And so, the Greeks had two festivals two games that they would compete in. One was, anybody know? The Olympics. Yeah, right, good. The Olympics <laughs> that we're doing right now. And then the other one was called the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games was actually held in Corinth. And so the, those who would compete, these were amateur, just like in the Olympics, these are amateur athletes who would train all year long for the games. Ten months they would stay in their hometown, and then the last month before the game, they would go to Corinth and they would just participate in strenuous, disciplined practice and training and they were just focusing um, themselves. And so he says, everyone, in verse 25, this is a picture in their mind. They know this whole games mentality. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. You know, this requires great discipline and great self-control. Then it says, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. In the games that they were competing in, they would get the winner would receive a pine wreath, okay, and but as you know, pine is it's 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 perishable. Eventually, that crown would would break apart, and it wouldn't last forever. So he's just saying, you know, we're we're competing for something different. We're competing for a crown that will last for all eternity. And then verse 26 says, therefore, because of that, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body 
and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. These two verses, verse 26 and 27, it clues us in onto his perspective on how to finish well and how not to be disqualified. He says, you know, I don't run like a man running aimlessly, meaning, you know, he was actually running towards a goal. He was running purposefully in a certain direction. He, his goal as, as a follower of Christ was to help as many people come to know Jesus Christ and to connect others to the life that Paul had now experienced. You see, his life had been transformed to the point where he saw the benefit of connecting with God. And he said, man, I cannot keep this to myself. I need to share this with others. And so that was his goal. This was his pure focus was, I'm not just running aimlessly in a certain direction. I'm running towards the mission of helping others come to know Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't fight like a man beating the air. In other words, literally this says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not pretending, but I'm actually in the real battle. He's, he's engaging in real battle. This was the real fight. He was pouring everything he could into the mission of helping others come to know Jesus. And he says, no, I, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Literally, it mean, this wording means he hits himself under the eye. So it's like he gives himself a black eye in a sense he is not allowing his body to lead his life. He's leading his body to focus and to be in compliance with the mission that he, that he's, that he had accepted. So he put his body into subjection as his, as his slave. Athletes really understand this. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, athletes, they understand that they need to be resting rather than being staying out late. You know, they need to be eating healthy rather than going out for pizza and ice cream. They need to be, you know, just... They have to bring their bodies along. They have to train their bodies and lead their bodies. And Paul is capitalizing on this idea because he says, this is what it takes if I'm not going to be disqualified for the prize. He says, you know, I don't want to go through, in verse 27, I don't want to go through this whole thing and preach to others this message and then I myself DQ somewhere along the way. So he says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to bring my body and force it to get in line with this mission. And he goes on in verse 10 and he, he fleshes this out. But there's, there's some, in this next passage, there's some points I really like to draw. And you can follow along if you like on your listening guide. But the first thing is this. Many good people start the race but don't finish well. Many good people, lots of good people start off with God but they don't finish well. And in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 5, look, look at this with me. It says, For I do not want you to be... So he's... He's carrying on this from chapter 9 to chapter 10. He's carrying on the same thought. And he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the same, or I'm sorry, were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual rock, the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. See, these were God's chosen people. The people of Israel. They were God's people that He called His very own. God, God's people found themselves in captivity in Egypt. And God raised up a deliverer who would lead God's people out of captivity into a promised land. And He led them through... A leader, his name was Moses, that he had raised up. And he used all sorts of miraculous things to provide for them along the way. And you get that in this passage. It talks about, you know, 
Paul is just reminding them of their history, of how God led the Jews out of captivity. He says he led, he led them out of, out of captivity by a cloud. He said they followed a pillar of a cloud by the day and fire by night. There was just the guidance system. God was guiding them towards the promised land. God parted the Red Seas, he alludes to this in this verse, so that the people of Israel could cross on dry ground and be protected from the pursuers, the Egyptians. And then it says that water came out of rocks, bread came falling out of the sky to feed them each day. God provided what was known as manna each day, and he provided um, water from rocks. Just supernatural things were happening. And he, and he ties it, Paul ties it to Jesus Christ. He says that spiritual rock was Christ. That he, he, is, he was the one that was guiding God's people out of captivity. He was the one with them all through this process. And, and so what he's doing is the point of all these affirmations was he wanted to just recount the privileges that they had as God's people. He says, you were a privileged people. Look at how God treated you by bringing you out of this land. And then you get to verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with, with most of them. So he recounts all the good privileges, and then he says, yet God wasn't pleased with most of them. That's probably one of the most understated things that you could say, because this is a huge understatement. Do you know how many people were led out of captivity, men, women, and children approximately? Coming out of Egypt, there was about three million Jews that came out of captivity heading towards the promised land. And do you know how many people actually got to enter into the promised land? It says, you know, God wasn't pleased with most of them. Most of them is two. Two. There was two. Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land. Moses, the leader, God's chosen leader, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Aaron wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. They got close. They got to look. Moses got to look into the promised land, but he wasn't able to pass through because he had not trusted God at a certain point in his, in his life. And so it disqualified him from being able to receive the full blessing of that the promised land and what God was leading him towards. It says their bodies were scattered across the desert. In other words, they didn't finish well. They didn't even cross the line. They disqualified themselves somewhere along the way. So if this is true for God's you know, people, how much more should we heed this warning? I mean, all the privileges that we have, yet we have so many privileges, yet we still need to recognize many good people do not finish well. They start strong, but they don't finish well. So there's things we want to do. The Another thing is we want to examine specific areas very closely. That's what you get out of the next few verses. They're just, Paul says you've got to focus on certain things. And he highlights what took, what disqualified God's people. Verses 6 through 10 says, These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. So that disqualified a, a bunch of people. Then he said, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. That took out another group of people. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. It took out a bunch more people. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. There was these different things along the way that took out God's people and disqualified them from being able to experience the finish line. And these are some specific areas that disqualified them. But in our lives, there are some general areas I think we should pay close attention to and just be prepared to examine. And so I've got four broad areas that I wanted to highlight. The first is my relationships. To just look very closely, very often, at my relationships. So that that when when we're doing our life and we're 
interacting with other people. We're asking questions. and how, how am I relating to these people? And what does this have to do with finishing well? In my marriage, you know, if you're married, is it healthy? Am I spending enough time with my spouse? Do I have healthy boundaries to protect my marriage? Is there, is there, are there any boundaries set up to protect my marriage? Or, or is it just kind of we just go with the flow and, and then we report on it at the end of the day? That's a dangerous approach in marriage to not have much boundary to not have boundaries set up, because there are people that would seek to divide you in your marriage. There are people that want to destroy your marriage, and that care nothing about the commitment you've made to your spouse. And so you have to take intentional steps to protect what you have. My conduct and speech within this whole area of relationships. You know, how do I how do I conduct myself? How do I speak to the opposite sex? Another area to be very careful with when it comes to flirting, when it comes to just boundaries that need to be set up and how I relate to the opposite sex. You may not think this is a big deal, but these subtle things become real problems for us that could disqualify us. And you have to catch them early on before they turn into something that could explode. An example of this in my life is I worked in a Christian organization for about five years, and this was... um, I think I had got the job just before I got married. So when I was engaged, I got the job, and I worked there the first five years of my marriage. And I was working in it for the first about uh, year and a half in an inbound call center where I was just taking calls and order fulfillment, sending things out through the computer, data entry, just sat in front of a computer screen all day and you know, taking calls. And um, I shared a cubicle with a, with a lady who was about my age. And cubicle was, you know, probably about the size of this stage right here. And um, big, long desk. And so over time, you know, this, this lady became my friend. We just got to know each other through the course of working together for, you know, about 15 months. And, you know, you spend eight hours a day with somebody who's the opposite sex, about the same age. I started reading a book with my wife. It was called um, Hedges, Protecting, or Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. And I was reading in the first few chapters of that book about an affair that, that began at work, in a work environment, where there was uh, a man and a woman who were both married, and they just grew close to each other. There was just a friendship that grew. And the book talked about emotional connections lead to physical things. If you, if you allow for a strong emotional connection, that, it just makes it very easy to um, blow past physical boundaries. And as I was reading the book, I realized... I need, to, I need to have boundaries around the way that I relate to this lady who's married herself. Because it was almost a casual work environment, you, I almost didn't notice that I, had, that I had to pull myself back in a sense and to not talk about certain things with this lady. Because uh, think about it. I was spending eight hours a day in a cubicle with another woman. Now, that wasn't intentional. I mean, it was my job. But... If you spend that amount of time with someone, if you're not careful, you grow very close just as a friend to that person. And now th- nothing happened, but I made a decision to relate differently to that lady because I realized I needed to protect my marriage. I needed to do that for my wife so that my wife knew that, that I was protecting our relationship. That, and, um, and you know what? As I, as I began to just redefine some things, um, she did as well. I think she caught on that, that okay, we're not talking about everything that, you know, would come up in the course of our, of our previous days, which wasn't inappropriate. But just I was being very careful as far as this whole emotional connection, if that makes sense. But that, that's just an area, one area where in my life I recognize I need to have boundaries set up. 
when I'm working closely to people of the opposite sex, you need to do the same thing. I'm not just saying this because I'm in ministry and, and ministers you know, have these moral failures, but this is just this is common, and that's what the Scripture is saying. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things like they did. These are just common patterns that we have to guard against. If we're not careful, we, we, get, we get ahead of ourselves when we make mistakes. So just even your speech here in church life, I'd encourage you to be careful that you, you set up appropriate boundaries as you're talking to the opposite sex. There needs to be boundaries in place to protect your marriage. If you're not married, the same goes in that case. To, to use appropriate speech as you're relating to each other. This is just this is a this is a very important area to examine. As you get real comfortable with flirting with someone, it's very easy if you just continue to flirt with someone of the opposite sex. It's very very easy um, for that to get out of line and and to do damage and to isolate or to make people pull back from you and feel uncomfortable around you. And so again, just ask yourself: And do I have appropriate speech around people in my work, in my church, on my block? You know, those kinds of places. Another whole thing related to my support or my relationships is just overall my support. Do I have support in my life to keep me from disqualifying myself? We looked last week about the importance of relationships and how people keep up keep us. They they help us with our future. You pick your friends and you pick your future. And so you have to ask yourself, do I have the right kind of support system in my life? Do I have people who will push me along towards the right kinds of things? Or are there people that I've joined with in close friendship who are actually pulling me towards the wrong things, pulling me off track and off mission. Something to ask. That's one area. The second area is my personal use of time. My personal use of time. How do I prioritize my day? Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Be very careful then how you live. The wording here is, the Greek is akribos. Be very careful. It means to walk carefully. It's, it has the picture of an acrobat who's walking on a tightrope, and he's just very precise with each step because if he misses, what happens? He falls. So you have to be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So there's this pull on our lives pulling us towards evil. And so we have to make, we have to make the most of every opportunity to be heading towards the mission, to keep our lives in a way that would be pleasing to God. It doesn't say pack all that you can into 24 hours of the day, but it, it says be strategic. This idea of make the most opportunity, it, it means be strategic and intentional about the decisions that you make and how you're going to spend your time. So ask yourself, am I spending time with God? Am I connecting with Him in prayer? Am I connecting with Him by spending time in His Word on a regular basis? Um, you may not be. And this is something that in the Christian life, I think we all struggle with. We kind of cycle through seasons where we're doing well and connecting with God and seasons where we, we just kind of uh, drift. And the relationship's not broken, but our fellowship with God gets broken. Our, our, our connection with Him, our ability to hear from Him, when we break, when we, don't, when we don't spend time with Him, it breaks our fellowship and we just have a hard time staying on track with the mission. So just evaluate your time in the Word, your time in prayer, and start where you are and commit to make progress. You reap what you sow in life. Scripture paints this picture about reaping and sowing. And if you'll, if you'll reap time with God, you, I mean, I'm sorry, if you will sow time with God, you will reap just the benefits of that relationship. So that's very important. Another thing is examine your desires. 
this is another area. My desires. Luke 8.14 says, Jesus talked about how the, the gospel was spread like seed. And it says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. They heard the message. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, the riches and the pleasures, and they do not mature. Jesus, in this parable, parable he says that there are those who hear the message. You know, they have good intentions, but they become distracted. This often happens, you know, it just begins with a little bit of distraction from something in the world. Riches, pleasure, worry. If we don't stop, that can lead to destruction. It, it can lead from the seed of, of God's Word not really taking root in your life and growing up into bearing fruit. We all have desires deep down in our hearts that we have to beat down into submission every day. I've got them, you've got them. And all the days of our life, we're just going to have to beat down desires that would pull us in a different direction. The desire for just a little bit more money. The desire for just a little more pleasure. The desire for just a little more freedom and ability to do what I want to do can lead us down the wrong road. Another thing is my life purpose and mission. This is another very important area that I don't think we often think about. My life purpose, my mission, what's really driving my life? Is life all about me or is it all about God? Without a firm purpose for life, how do we know whether or not we're really living? If you've never really thought about, well, what is it all about? What am I trying to live for? You'll never miss that mark if you don't ever define it. <laughs> but if you define what your life purpose is, it's very easy to, to ask, yeah, I'm, I'm accomplishing this mission or I'm not. This is what drove Paul in Acts twenty twenty four. He makes this statement. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is what drove the Apostle Paul, is this all-consuming mission. He says, this is what it's all about. I want to finish the race and complete the task, the task of testifying, of sharing this message, the fact that Christ has given me hope in my life. He set me free because He died for me. He did the good that I could never have done on my own. That's God's grace. And if you're a follower of Christ, but you've not taken, you've not personally taken responsibility for that mission, then you're missing your life purpose. Because your life purpose is to make disciples. That's that's the clear mission statement of, of the Christian is to make disciples. And Paul says that's what it's all about. He says everything else would have been a big waste if I missed this thing, the mission of, of making disciples. And I think we get very we. It almost sounds like a harsh statement. To hear me say that or to hear what Paul has to say, like, wow, are you saying my family, that's a waste of time, and my, my, the things I've worked so hard for, my goals, my, my aspirations, I'm not saying that's a waste of time, but in the wrong priority, those things are just, they're empty in and of themselves because they will end with this life. And the mission of Jesus Christ, it's, it's eternal. The difference that we can make in people's lives, that goes on for all eternity. And so that's why Paul was wrapping everything up in the mission. So, and so many, of, so many of the followers of Christ, they never nail this area down. They never nail down this priority, and life becomes all about ourselves and all about my family. That becomes my priority. And then this whole idea of the mission of making disciples, you know, that's a good thing. That sounds good, but it's just not what I'm going to do. It's not what's that important to me. And so when we do this, whenever we take that attitude, we're basically putting ourselves up on the shelf. We're like a tool that's been thrown up on the shelf in the garage and God can't use us for the purpose that He has designed us for. 
when we decide I, I, I'm going to be all about me or I'm going to be solely about my family. We're a tool on the shelf. And God, you know, he, wants to, he wants us to come off that shelf. He wants us to be useful in His hands. And so Paul is just, he's talking about that. So we need to examine that area closely. Another thing is, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 12 talks about how, you, how we need to admit that we're vulnerable. Admit that we're vulnerable. It says these things happened to them as examples that were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, he says, be careful that you don't fall. He's saying you hear these stories, that's an example to keep us from straying. And if you think that you're untouchable, be careful because you yourself might fall just as they have. All of us need to be aware that there are things that could take us out and disqualify us. Every single one of us has areas in our life, weaknesses and struggles that could destroy us, destroy everything we hold dear. Look at this video from a, from a great movie, Cars. It's a children's movie, Disney. But you'll see this in the movie Cars where the racing Lightning McQueen, he, he recognizes... Well, he thinks he's just on top of the world and he cannot be beaten. And he doesn't admit that he's got any vulnerability. So take a look at how, how this plays out in his life. We need tires now. Come on, let's go. No, 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 no. No tires. Just gas. What? You need tires, you idiot. Looks like it's all gas and goes from McQueen today. That's right, no tires again. Now normally I'd say that's a short-term gain, long-term loss, but it sure is working for him. Hey, he obviously knows something we don't know. This is it, Daryl. One lap to go, and Lightning McQueen has a huge lead. Oh, he's got it in the bag. Call in the dogs and put out the fire. We're going to drown us a new game. With only one turn to go. Can he make it? You fool! unstoppable, unbeatable. And I think in our lives, sometimes we think, you know, nothing can take me down. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on top of the world right now. I'm going. I'm moving. And we do not admit our, admit our vulnerability, and we blow a tire somewhere along the way. And we don't finish well. We don't finish. We don't cross that line. All of us, we just have to figure out what, what is it? What are those things that are most threatening to me? And I listed in that examine specific areas closely, there's those four broad areas. What I'm hoping is that that might jog your thoughts towards some areas to examine. That you might realize, yeah, you know what? I've really never thought about the mission that I have as a Christian. And 
maybe, maybe I'm disqualifying myself. Maybe I'm up on the shelf right now because I've not even really engaged in that. I've not even thought about that. Uh, you might want to attend that basic evangelism training because that's what it's going to be talking about, the importance of sharing our faith and, and how to approach that in, in, a, in, a, in a scriptural way. Look at this quote from Sam Waxel. He is the CEO of biotech firm. Remember, the, he went to jail for insider training. Trading. He was the guy who, who uh, Martha Stewart got entangled with, and Martha Stewart had to go to jail, and he had to go to jail. He was the CEO of this huge biotech firm. Look at what he says. When CBS asked him, how did you get into this mess? He said, it certainly wasn't because I thought about it carefully ahead of time. He says, I think I was arrogant enough at the time to believe that I could just cut corners, not care about details that were going on, and not think about consequences. You know, he wasn't admitting his vulnerability. We all have vulnerability. Next thing is, we need to remember that God will not allow us to be pushed past our limit without offering help. This is a promise. God will not allow us to be pushed past our limits in life without offering us help. No temptation, verse 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No temptation is inherently stronger than our spiritual resources. We sin because we are willing to sin. But God provides spiritual resources to resist temptation or to bear up under temptation. And so we can move through the pressures and the pot we can move around the potholes. We can resist the pressure that's that's trying to get us to cave in in life and to disqualify ourselves. God can provide that, the strength. In, in, in the New American Standard, look at the, the slide. You'll see that it's just slightly written up differently in a different version, more of a literal translation. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. The Greek here is a definite article and a singular noun, the way doesn't say he will provide a, an, a, a plethora or a, you know, several doors of escape, you know, and you're like, do I want to choose door A, door B, or door C, or this tempting situation? He doesn't give us all sorts of, ton, you know, multiple options. He gives us the way to escape. And, and one commentator that I was reading said that the way to escape is to go through it. Now, I don't fully agree with this thought, but I want to explain it. He says the way to to escape is to go through it because of what the next part of the verse says, that you may be able to endure it. And I would agree that a tremendous or a good part of temptation requires endurance. Oftentimes God wants us to escape it by just bearing up under the pressure and not caving into whatever's going to take us off course. And that's really what you get here in verse 13. Other places in the Bible, Scripture says to flee sexual immorality. It says, run. Run for your life. It says, if there's a door, run for the door. You know, don't just pray for endurance when you see the door. Take the door option. <laughs> that's, that's your way out. Um, but endurance is more than just, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Endurance involves prayer. Scripture includes us in that endurance involves praying, asking God to strengthen us in the moments when we're being tempted. This is what... Jesus said to the apostles who were tempted at one point, well, he said, pray so that you would not be tempted. Watch and pray. It's Mark 14:38. But also trust. Trust that when we're walking through temptation that God is walking with us through it. 
Psalm 23. Powerful psalm. It says that God is our good shepherd and He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, you don't have to fear because I'm with you. I'm walking with you through this. The idea here is that He's going to walk you through it. That's endurance through temptation. It's not escaping through running. The escape is just walking through to the point where the, the, the temptation lets up. And then also just focus. Focus on the Lord as you're, as you're walking through things. Look at Hebrews 12. It says, let's fix our eyes. This is about focus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's, our, he's the one we're to fix our eyes on. He's to be our focus. That helps us when we're... That's the help He wants to offer. Is it's Himself to walk through stuff. The last thing is this. Here's our goal. Our goal is to keep moving forward towards the finish line. To stay on our feet, moving forward through life. To not put ourselves on the shelf by decisions we make. To not just fall down and stay down, but to keep moving forward. Second Timothy 4, 6-8 through 8 says, For I'm already being poured out. This is the end of Paul's life. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. He knows that his life is about over. He's in prison. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a powerful statement. And he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. This includes all of us. If we'll hang in there, if we'll fight the good fight, if we'll finish the race and keep the faith through the pressures of life, we too cannot just get to heaven, but we can experience this, this reward, this crown of righteousness you know, I, I want to stand before God without major regrets of my life. Now, sure, I'm going to get there and I'm going to have, have blown a lot of things. I'm going to have made some major mistakes. But I don't want, to, I don't want the death blow in, in the sense of just I really threw it all away. And I, I, I lost focus of God's purpose or I lost my marriage or I lost these other things. Now, even if that happens, I want to get back on my feet. I want the support system to where I can be moving forward and just to continue to press on move forward towards the finish line. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31 says, Do you not know? We're going to sing a song about this, this in just a minute. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Here's some next steps for you if you flip on the back. Something you can take away from the message. I'd encourage you to think through and maybe even mark one of these on your listening guide. And then on this card, on this white card, it says, My Next Step at the bottom right. And I'd encourage you, if you'd like to, to make a commitment to, to work on something, to write that on here and we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you towards making one of these applications. So here they are. I will identify the main threat that could disqualify me. I will identify the main threat, the most threatening thing that I recognize in my life, the vulnerability, the area that is unprotected, and that I have very little accountability. I will identify what that is, and I will share that with a trusted friend. The second thing, I will memorize 2 Timothy 4.7. That is, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
or I will spend X number of days this week connecting with God. And if you check that box and you write that down on your next step, then we'll send you a little booklet that talks about how to spend some time with God, seven, seven minutes alone with God. So there's another thing on there for other, maybe some other things have come to your mind. So I encourage you to think through how to apply this to your life. And look forward to sharing with you a few more thoughts as it relates to finishing this race well in the next few weeks. So I hope you'll join us for those messages. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.